gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Well, as soon as Jack Greenwich was made captain, the script was written. Him lifting the Championship trophy, getting his boyhood club to the Premier League. He will always be Aston Villa's Jack Greenwich. Hello and welcome back to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast. I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FineFoy and I'm joined once again by Mark. Hey guys, what's going on? Mark Jarebi here, you can find me at Twitter at VillamarkPGH. Hope everybody's doing well, hope everybody's liking the new signings. There's a lot of business to uh, get to here, Regan. Yeah, I mean, you know, Aston Villa have been doing a lot of business and we've got a, a lot of business to cover. Um, I don't really know where to start, so let's start, uh, let's start with Matt Target. Um, you know, we it's a it's a position that people have been clamouring for. We've been clamouring for it. Um, you know, it's it's the left back. We 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 we've dealt with Neil Taylor, and that's not to say that Neil Taylor is not an adequate left back. But we've dealt with Neil Taylor being our only left back for far too long. Uh, you know, the amount of cover that we've had to put there. We've had Courtney Hawes there. We've had Alan Hutton there. I'm sure we've probably had James Bree there probably a couple of times. Um, so, you know, bringing Matt Target in is one of those big, big wants and one of those big positions filled before we've even started uh, the preseason training camp in America. Yeah, I think it's a really good signing. Um, I, I was very uh, vocal about in the last podcast about getting a left back in and getting a left back in soon. Um, I think a few days after I said that on the, the last podcast, they, they got Matt Target in. I, I think it's going to be a really good signing for Villa just for the fact of um, the fee as well as 11 million pounds. And then I guess there's a couple add-ons. It, it depends on wh- where you read it from. Um, I, I think that he's kind of a little bit of the opposite of what we usually see from Neil Taylor. And Neil Taylor did have a really good season, especially the second half of the season last year in the championship. But uh, Matt Target, he, he's just a, a little bit different gravy. He's a little bit more offensive-minded. He get, gets a little bit more forward. He finds, you know... Little pockets of space out on the left for overlaps. His crossing ability is otherworldly. It really is. I mean, by the statistics, he's completing every other cross that he puts into a dangerous area. That That's pretty substantial stuff, especially with Villa being in their first season back in the Premier League. Um, a, a couple other people say that, that we need maybe one more left back, but I think with Courtney Horse being able to play that position as well, I don't think you really need another one. But I think Matt Target and Neil Taylor are definitely going to be the uh, the two left backs going forward. And a, a little bit of competition here again in the preseason is not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, you mentioned his uh, crossing statistics, and I think we we looked into it when the signing was announced. Um, and, and we basically looked into it and said that, well, not said, we, we found out that uh, Target was hitting the target, if you were, um, almost doubly as often as Neil Taylor. Yeah, and you didn't see a lot of big-time crosses from Neil coming off the left. I mean, he would, he would overlap, and it seemed like he would always, you know, um, just hold up the ball just a little bit and then you know, try to pass it in forward, even if it was like a little like three to five yard pass. Um, with Matt Target, I think he, you're actually going to see him bomb forward to the byline as much as possible and then try to get a cross in. Um, I don't know if he's really big on cutting inside the way that Dean Smith would probably usually like from his right back and left back position. You know, we saw that a lot last season with uh, Ahmed Mohamedi and uh, the Albert Adema partnership. Um, so I, I think Target's going to be a really good player. I mean, he, he was at Southampton forever. That was his boyhood club. It was almost the same kind of thing with like a Jack Grealish type thing. I think it just got to the point where Target wasn't ever going to get game time in front of Ryan Bertrand. 
at Southampton and it was time for him to go. Um, you know, it's one of those weird cases where, you know, a signing happens and the team that is selling him off, the supporters on social media are all like, man, that's, you know, that's, it's such a tough thing because they know that he's probably good enough to start somewhere. It just wasn't going to be at Southampton right now with Ryan Burchin being there. And it's kind of a rare and common thing, but the fans actually seemed like they had a little bit of sympathy and they really wanted him to do well moving on. Almost in the same vein is when, you know, John McGinn came to us and, you know, Villa fans didn't really know anything about John McGinn, but every supporter on Hibs was like, take care of him. He's a really good guy, a really good player. You're going to, you know, get a lot out of him. And you're kind of seeing something similar happen with Matt Target, not to the point of, you know, I'm not saying he's going to come in and be a John McGinn on the left, but it's just the, the, uh, the praise from his supporters that have watched him for many, many years saying, hey, this is a good move for him. Take care of him. He's going to be a good guy. And that can't be a bad thing when you're getting plaudits from from your supporters at a club that you've been for a long time. No, definitely not. Um, but, you know, left back wasn't the only place that we needed to fill. Um, it's been widely known for, for longer than a year now um, that we, we've had issues at centre-back. Um and we've been linked with every single centre-back up and down the country, across Europe, and probably even South America over this summer. Um, but we finally tied down the uh, the man that we wanted, and I don't know why I'm dropping so many puns at the moment, but we signed Tyrone Mings. I, I completely love it. Um, I, I think there's a couple different schools of thought when it comes to the Tyron Ming signing. Uh, first and foremost, I think it's a real thing that Aston Villa supporters suffer from sticker shock right now because we couldn't spend any money, really any big time meaningful money in the last three seasons being in the championship. So now when you actually you know get a player and you're going to throw 20 million plus at a player, I think people are going to be a little standoffish and they're going to immediately, it's just in, in the natural human instinct to look for the negatives when something shocks you more so than the positives. Um, so I, I really think the Tyron Mings deal has, has a little bit of sticker shock. It's being reported it's $20 million with add-ons up to 26 At least that's what I read. Um, I'm okay with that. There, there's just so many positive things that come with Tyron Mings coming through the door. And I was also one of those supporters where when it finally got announced for the money it did, I was a little bit like, wait, wait, what are we, what are we doing? Are we really throwing that much money at him? But if you really just take a step back and think about it, he's familiar with the club. He's familiar with the staff. He's revered by the supporters. He has a, an innate physical ability. His passing from the back is completely outrageous. You, Villa haven't had a ball-playing center back like that in a very long time, if, if even as far as I've been supporting the Villa. So it's it's one of those things where if you really step back and look at the positives of it, it's a really, really good deal. I mean, I don't know. How, how do you feel? Do you think that it's, it's fair for the price tag? Well, I mean, I was, I was speaking to a friend earlier, um, and they were saying, you know, he's, he's the fifth choice at Bournemouth. And I said, yeah, he might be the fifth choice at Bournemouth, but he'll be the first choice here. And now he's here, I wouldn't sell him for anywhere close to £20 million. So surely that means he's worth what we paid it for him. You know, he was a major part in our promotion. And when when you look at the price that, you know, Harry Maguire's been touted at at £80 million, then I think Mings is worth the 20 especially to our club. You know, if it was a West Ham that was going in for Tyrone Mings, I don't think they'd value him at £20 million. But Bournemouth knew how much we valued him, and we knew how much we valued him, so we we coughed up the money. You know, prices are generally inflated in every league at the moment, but you know we're going to have to pay more because we need the players, and we're rich as hell. 
you know, clubs will hold us to ransom. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with it, and I think this is a case you're paying for the intangibles, maybe more than you're paying for the actual, I guess, overall footballing reputation. I mean, a, a lot of price tags these days are thrown at players for their reputation, whether it be on an international level or a league level or even a form level. Like players get bo- get bought because of their form all the time, and not necessarily they really can't keep that up. You know, Tyron Mings for me, it's the intangibles. It's you know that that he just worked so well on a team. He came to he came to Aston Villa. He played eighteen games. He played them remarkably. Yeah, he had he had a couple moments that weren't great. Ascending off isn't great. You know, he got beat to the ball a couple times. I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it and say he's the most perfect, amazing defender that's that's ever walked the earth. It's that's just not the case. But if you really think about it, for what we need right now, the point you made about would I sell Tyrone Minks for twenty million dollars right now? Hell no. Not not a chance in the world. And that's the difference between the fifth choice, you know, center back, like you said, at Bournemouth and the first choice center back at Villa. He's going to be the first choice. He's going to be on the pitch every game, barring injury, suspension, something of that nature. I, I just don't think that, you know, for all the negatives you hear about the Tyrone Mink signing, there is so many more positives about it. And, and I, I think the Villa supporters need to kind of just take that little bit of step back, stop trying to look at every signing with binoculars on and, and try to, you know, analyze it to the point of, you know, not liking it. They, they get so far into signing sometimes that they're always looking for negatives. And I get it. It's a sign of the past. And, you know, we're, we, it's, it's a little, a little bit of, you know, just a, a syndrome of, is this really going to work? Is it really worth the price? But for me, I, who else are you going to get better that knows the club and is happy at Aston Villa the way Mings is? I just don't think you can find another player like that. And I mean, you know, you, you look at the fact that he he might have been fifth choice at Bournemouth, but Bournemouth are one of the teams that have a a load of quality in depth at centre back. You know, they've got Nathan Arke. Um, they've recently signed Chris Meppham. Um, so those are just two off the top of my head. I can't really name any others, but I know they've got three or four quality centre backs that they they can field. And you know, if Mings isn't going to get a look in, then you know, obviously we're gonna we're gonna pay for him after the amazing half a season he gave us last year. Right, and especially with the bankroll that we have now, you know, Villa's not used to this, you know, and Villa supporters aren't used to it. And I think that that's where a little bit, you know, of the standoffish nature comes from, or why are we spending money on players that might have a little bit of, of a injury history? That that was even something that I said about Tyron Mings when we signed him was, you know, yeah, we only saw him for 18 games. If you really think about it, that is a pretty small sample size for a player, but I just think that, that that shouldn't come into context when you're thinking about it. I mean, he, he was in his kit for, what, 36 hours after the playoff final? Like, you didn't think he was coming to Aston Villa? Like, you, didn't, you don't think that he cares about this club deeply? He doesn't care about the reception he gained when he was here? He doesn't care about, you know, celebrating with the fans? You know, he was, he was at the hotel after the playoff game, you know, almost over the railing, like, you know, barring on almost falling over to, to, to chant the Ale 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 song with, with Villa supporters. I mean, that you don't get that every day from Maloney. Like, it, it had to happen. Like, his, his heart is now Villa. He's now Villa. He bleeds claret and blue, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, whatever payment we had to make for it, you know, obviously it wasn't super, super outrageous considering. But, you know, 20 mil to raise up, that's that's fine with me. I, I, I don't think Villa are getting anybody who can fit that mold to do the things that Dean Smith wants for any less money. No, and I mean, you know, whilst we're on, whilst we're on the subject of centre backs, you know, we've we've got a leader in Mings now. We've signed him. You know that we've we've got a potential, you know, two captains at centre back should Jack be missing in Chester and Mings. Um, 
we've been rumoured with a, a, a player that could potentially be a third centre-back captain, and that's the return of Gary Cahill. You know, that's a rumour that's just not going away at the moment. Um, you know, he's he's been attached to a few clubs uh, over this summer, and so it doesn't seem like we're the only ones that are going for his signature. But, you know, he's recently been let go by Chelsea. He didn't play very much for them last season. Um, but, you know, we, we've got a very young defensive core, really, with with uh, Hawes, with Mings. Um, in retrospect, anyway, obviously, Mings is, I think, 20, 26. Um, yeah, 26, I believe. So, you know, in retrospect... For for central defenders, obviously you compare it to the likes of like Juventus, their central defenders are edging for forty. Um, but Gary Cahill would offer that experience. He's he's more experienced than than James Chester. You know, James Chester's played. You know, I think I think he played two full seasons without missing a game for Villa. Um, He's very experienced, especially at the club, but I don't think he's anywhere near as experienced as Gary Cahill. And Gary Cahill's got that Villa experience as well. Yeah, for me, with with bringing Cahill in, I'm I'm okay with it. I would like a one year deal. The wages are going to be inflated. I mean, you're not going to get away from him. he's coming from Chelsea. He's not going to take some major pay cut just because you know he used to play at Villa. Like, be under no illusions. That's just not going to happen. He's going to want a payday. If he's interested in a one year contract with an option for a second. So be it. That's fine. For me, the thing about bringing Cahill in is that you know you need somebody in your in your back defensive line who has the experience, just like you said. And people always say, "Oh yeah, but we have John Terry." Well, yeah, but John, John Terry's on, on on the sideline. He's in the dugout. He's not on the pitch. And yes, John Terry is at training, but John Terry's not one of the players. John Terry cannot walk onto the pitch and help these guys, and you know make them you know get you know offer them a little bit of experience during the game, other than shouting at them. So, in my opinion, I think bringing Cahill in is great to get some of these younger defensive, and not even just the center backs. It, it, does, it doesn't just, it's not just static because Cahill's a center back that he's only helping the center backs. It's the entire defensive line, and in, ter- in terms, I could branch out to the rest of the team, just as far as teamwork, team cohesion, things of that nature. I think it would be a really good move. I'm not opposed to him coming in. Um, we, we all know that injuries do happen, and I'd rather you know, a, a Gary Cahill come in the door than maybe some some other players that, that we've been linked to. I don't think it's a bad deal. A lot of people are slagging this off. I, I don't know, like, I, I would like Villa to start the Premier League with five identifiable center backs because you just never know as far as former injuries. But I, I don't know. That's I, I'm kind of on the fence about it. On one avenue, I can see it. I really think it's a good idea. On the other avenue, we might be able to look at other players, but they would lack the experience for a cheaper wage. But due to the fact that Villa seem to have, you know, a, a bountiful amount of money these days, I don't think they're worried about things like a wage budget, budget as of right now. Well, if you look at it, Cahill's on 130 grand a week at well was on 130 grand a week at Chelsea. He'll he'll cut that down to let's say 100 grand. Um, that's I think that's around five million pound a year. Um, so five million pound for a, a season centre back isn't isn't bad, you know. It's it's short termism, you know. Five million pound for a year, but it might work. And if he if he has a hand in keeping us up, if he has a hand in, you know, um, keeping the feel good factor around the place and things like that, then you know that five million pound is nothing in 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 when you look at it like that way, um, but. 
you know, we've seen that Chester's got his injury issues. Tyrone Mings is notoriously uh, injury prone. That leaves us then currently with our with our central defenders at the moment uh, with Courtney Hawes and Courtney Hawes alone. Um, bring right. Gary and that. That, I, I was just going to say I didn't mean to cut you off, but and then that's that's pretty much what I'm talking about with the injury crisis because like you don't you don't really know. I mean, we've been linked to it with another center back today, but I I, I don't know. Like you gotta you gotta have depth. You gotta be prepared for all situations. I'm sure the coaching staff will get it, but I mean I don't know. I, th- I think I think you need another another body, and you, you just you just never know. Like you said, with I mean, who, who's gonna are we gonna put John again at, at center back in the event <laughs> that you know two two of our starting center backs could hurt. Yeah. Well, as far as I'm aware, Cahill is a done deal regarding other things. So I think Smith's having a decent long think and a decent long look at what's going on with Axel Twanzebe. Um, You know, he's recently just signed a three-year deal with Manchester United, so he's not going to get Twanzebe on a on a purchase. It will be another loan deal, and I doubt it will have an option to buy. Um, But should Manchester United sign Harry Maguire, then that leaves Twanzebe free to come back to Aston Villa on loan. If that can happen, then Cahill will not be an option for Villa. But if it can't happen, then I think that we will see Gary Cahill put in the uh, the old claret and blue on once more. Yeah, I think there's a little a couple of moving parts of the whole situation with Twanzebe and Cahill and today uh, Ezri Kansa from um, from Brentford. There, there's a lot of lot of moving parts, and, and there's still time. I mean, I know I panicked about it personally in the, in the last couple of previous podcasts. Um, you know, but you know, I've had a long think about it, and maybe I was a little bit wrong. You know, panicking a little bit, but for me, you know, it's it, it's just a solidification of getting you know players together and getting them as much time during a preseason and the build up to the the Premier League you know start. I, I don't want it that we're playing RB Leipzig and then you know you have I think it's three days after the Leip- Leipzig game, which is the last preseason game for Villa, then the window slams shut. I don't want to make panic buys in those last three days. I want the team to be completely settled going in, going into the last two games of, of the preseason for Villa. So I think for me personally, it's just a little bit of anxiety as far as who we're going to get in, when we're going to get them in. But I mean, Villa's working very di- diligently in the transfer market. They seem like they're making um, really smart decisions. We're seeing coaching staffs, you know, start to, uh, you know, go places to scout players. Like it's a, it's a, it's a wide world out there. The pictures are being taken at certain places and whatnot. So, you know, these players are going to come in and, and they're they're having their eyes on on really good players and promising young players. And you know, if it if fits the Dean Smith mentality, it fits the Dean Smith mentality, and that's that's okay with me. It's it's not a hard eye test to look upon and, and be like, okay, well, yeah, I, I can't see that guy fitting in a villa. If you really look at it, most of these players are being linked to. You're like, oh wow, like yeah, that that player could definitely play in Aston Villa the way that Dean Smith has shown over the you know since last season how he wants to play football. And I think that even his tactics were a little bit hindered by the by the inclusion of older players like Adoma, Whelan, and Yednak. So even trying to, you know, fill those out a little bit, you know, those players got released. They're a great service to the club and everything. But, you know, you get younger, hungrier players in, and this system could look even better. We don't know yet. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a moving forward thing. It, you know, the transfer period's still going to be really, really busy. I, I still don't think Villa's done by any means yet. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, there, there's definitely some anxiety just to get the players together and figure out what's going on. 
Um, before we continue the discussion, you mentioned Ezra Konza. We'll 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 move on to that in a minute. But you did say uh, you don't want panic boys just before the window slams shut. And I'm just gonna just gonna go out on a whim here. Um, and this I'm only saying this because if it does happen, I can I can clip it and post it all over social media and say how much of a god I am. Um, <laughs> I think transfer deadline day. Couple of hours before the window slams shut, we're going to break our transfer transfer record, and we're going to sign Side Benrama from Brentford. I I think I'd be okay with that. Uh, for something like that, that's a little different. I, I I meant more like, I mean, a panic buy is a panic buy. Period. What how, whichever way you try to slice it and, and dress it up, but I mean like a panic buy. Like I don't want Villa to like end up like splashing like seventeen million dollars on like Christian Benteke. You know what I mean? Like just, just you know, something like that. Like bring a player in from the past or someone who's completely over the hill and not not gonna be able to do it or doesn't have great form. But I don't know. Ben Rama would be a pretty pretty big coup, I think, for Villa. And if if we can get that over the line, you know, in the last couple of days of the transfer window, you may end up looking like a genius, pal. You might, you really might. Yeah, I, I think really I only said that because I wanted to rub my own ego in the case it does happen. That's okay. I'll strike your ego with you. You're fine. I, I get it. It's okay. <laughs> Right, we'll move back on to Esri Konsa, who uh, you were discussing a little bit earlier. Um, today, literally a couple of hours ago, uh, he's been at Bodymore Heath and is undergoing a medical. Um, the 21-year-olds played for Brentford last season. I think he played in 42 games. Um, and he's one of the most promising players in the England under-21 setup. You know, he, he's... Uh, He's already drawn comparisons to Axel Twenzebe on social media, and you know, through, through looking through it ourselves, um, he's actually pretty on the same level in regards to uh, the, the stats. Um, I think I think Twenzebe played like fifteen games less than Konza, so by by that law, he should have better averages. But Konza has uh, higher tackles made per game average. Um, a better pass success rate on average, and the only thing that's higher is uh, Twanzebe's clearances, which is 0.5 higher than Consa's. I think Consa's was at 3.4 clearances per game, and Twanzebe's was at 3.9. So, you know, Consa maybe not not a starter, but he'll be someone that's given be given the room to grow. And you know, if if we do end up signing Cahill, then you know that is our five fit centre-backs for the, for the season. Horse, Chester, Mings, Cahill and Concer. Yeah, that's not a bad core either. Uh, in the in the case of Ezri Concer, uh, I don't think people really realise how um, how coveted this signature is if Villa get this over the line. Uh, under 21 England International, like you said, he had a pass success rate of 87.7% on 2,111 total passes. That's insane. And, like, I get it. Um, Brentford plays... They played three at the back this past year, um, so you know the the eighty seven point seven percent might be a little skewed when you're passing the ball so quickly. You know of, of the three defenders, and you might get a, you know it might be a, a little bit of stat cushioning or stat padding. I really think this is a great great signing for Villa. Young, hungry, physically gifted. The comparisons he's getting from Tuanzebe is actually pretty accurate to Tuanzebe we saw two years ago when we first brought him in on loan. It's kind of that a little bit raw. He might still be a little bit raw, but he is very coveted. He has a lot of potential. Like you said, he has room to grow. Great staffs here. Um, again, he's an England international, 
So or under twenty one England international. So if he's coming into a setup that has John Terry as the defensive coach, like he's he's not going to get any worse. Let, let's be honest. Like it, it's he's not going to decline at twenty one years old under that kind of tutelage. So for me, I think this is be a really really good signing. And by no means does he just step into the starting two center backs at Villa as a twenty one year old. But I do think that he he will mature over time. I think he's going to get better. His game's going to get better. Um, the passing's already there. The physical ability's already there. Tactically, he's very aware, like you said, with with his uh, tackles and clearances. Um, I, I think he had the third most tackles on the team for Brentford this past year. Villa need that. They need someone who's and again, he's not going to mirror Tuan Zebe. Like, like there's going to be, you know, they're two to, two different players. But I, it, it's the ball playing. It's the athletic ability. It's the tactical awareness, like I said. So I think this will be a really, really good signing. But it's I, I feel it's one for a couple of seasons down the line. I don't think he's going to jump right in. Maybe a cup competition, maybe, um, if we get him across the line, obviously. But yeah, I, th- this is the kind of thing that, that Dean Smith talked about, almost to the point of being annoying, that he wants young, hungry players. And that's exactly what Kanza is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he... <sighs> He's he's no, by no means the the completed the finished article, um, and you know there's the there's if you think back to uh, I think it's the two all draw against us last season. Uh, Jonathan Codger absolutely broke Conser's ankles, uh, wriggling around him for I think I think it was the first goal. I think it, either way, I think Codger scored both goals that night. Um, so it doesn't really matter, but yeah, it looks like he struggles with a trickier player. But other than that, you know, he's still young. He's going to get better. Um, and I think the fees are twelve million pounds. Uh, I think that's his release clause. So you can't really you can't really complain at that. You know, you you pay premiums now for younger players, and you pay even higher if if they're English. So twelve million pounds for a, a talent like Konza, I don't think we can really complain. No, I don't. I don't think there's anything to be upset about when it, when it comes down to it. I, it. We have to start building. Like again, with with the whole Dean Smith model of young, hungry players, you have to buy them, and you're going to pay upwards of of twelve million dollars for a player. I don't. I don't think this, you know, turns into something where four years down the line, are like, well, we threw that money away. I, I don't think Villa's in that situation. I don't think they have the people behind the scenes that are making the poor decisions like that anymore. So I think for me, like getting a player. Just, just like him, and even mirroring Tuan Zebe is, is awesome for the club moving forward. Awesome for the club in the next couple of years. You know, see how he develops. But he'll he'll be given that that you know he'll, he'll be given that time. Like Villa can afford to let a 21 year old grow a little bit. And I'm not going to say he's going to waste away in the under 23s. You know, again, if an injury crisis happened, he may be in and around the first team. But it, there, there's nothing bad coming out of this. I, a couple of people said, "Oh, here we go. We're just raiding Brentford again." And it's like, it's, no, it's. It's a little bit different on this one. Like, you know, this guy was linked to Arsenal, you know, heavily, heavily, you know, Arsenal were heavily interested in him. So, you know, for him to come to the Villa, obviously he sees something here if he's going to get across the line. It's it's heavily rumored right now. It's absolutely everywhere. But, you know, if it does actually happen, it's, it's a beautiful signing. And if even if we're beating off clubs such as Arsenal, and I know that they're, you know, they get a little bit of stick these days for, you know, how they run things. But, you know, if we're beating off clubs like Arsenal, that in the modern day of football, like it or not, they are a very, very large club. And, you know, being able to, you know, turn a 21-year-old England International's head to Aston Villa instead of Arsenal, that's 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 a good sign moving forward for me. I'm, I'm happy with that. Well, even, even uh, besides Arsenal, uh, he was apparently very, very close to a move to Wolves, uh, literally a week and a half ago. 
Um, you know, some some wolves accounts were reporting that it was a done deal. So I don't know what went wrong there. I don't know whether you know uh, Dean stuck his oar in and basically said, "Esri, hold up," you know. Let let let's let's talk about this, or whether Brentford were waiting um, for the Pontus Janssen signing to go through for them, and since then Villa have just popped up and gone, "Oh, is Esri available?" You know, we don't know what's happened, but you know, for the fact that Wolves and Arsenal were both interested in him, you know, it's it it's a good signing, whichever way you look at it. Um, and you know, you you, you mentioned that people are saying. Oh, we're raiding Brentford again. We've not actually signed anyone from Brentford yet. We're linked with a hell of a lot of Brentford players, but that's expected because of Dean. But we've not, we've not signed anyone from Brentford yet, and I'd I'd be surprised if we we sign any more than two Brentford players this summer. Yeah, it's just I think it's just the constant links, and people think that Dean Smith's just trying to you know raid Brentford with the constant links. I mean, uh, Romain Sawyer's was in links forever. This past year, um, and he, he's a talented player. Don't get me wrong; he would have been great at the Villa in the Championship, but uh, we're not there anymore. Haha. <laughs> so, um, I, I just think that it's one of those things where people get annoyed whenever a coach tries to snag players from his previous clubs. Um, Dean Dean Smith is very, very highly regarded at Brentford. He always will be, to be honest. I I, I think they understood why he needed to move, and you know, understood what what he built there. Uh, so yeah, of course he's going to want to go get a couple players that he might have worked with, or a couple players that he sees promising that are maybe ready to take the next step. Cons is going to be a little bit of a work in progress, um, but he definitely has the ability. It's definitely a little raw, but it's it's there. Uh, you know, he can ping balls forward. He, you know, he can move forward. He'll get himself in offensive positions when he can. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't get the whole thing with Villa supporters not being okay with us being linked with players from Brentford. I just, I don't think that's a detriment. I think that's Dean Smith identifying a problem and using the experience that he has and he has alone to try and fix that problem. I mean, that that's what you want out of your head coach, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we've discussed the centre-backs. We've discussed the left-back. We've also signed striker, Mark. Um, and you know we've we spoke about this a couple of times over the last couple of podcasts, but Wesley's finally a villain. He's completed his his move, uh, his work permit's been granted, and he's officially now Aston Villa's most expensive signing of all time. So you know he he looks a talent, but I think there's there's going to be a real issue with his. Ability to adapt to life at Villa. Um, he's the first Brazilian to ever play for the club. He cannot speak a word of English, as shown by his interview. I, mean, I reckon he could probably say like yes or no and stuff like that. But you know, he got he can't speak sentences. Um, and you know, he's got this massive price tag on top of him. He's come out and said in his interviews that you know he, he he's ready to prove how how good of a player he is. He's ready to live up to the price tag. Um, but the big thing that's the worry for me is the lack of ability to speak English. It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And I, I think Villa supporters need to start getting it through their mind now that there's going to be a transitional period for Wesley. Um, I, if he hits the ground running, that's great. That's not that's not what I'm trying to say right now. If he hits the ground running, he starts banging in goals. His hold up plays great. He's physical. He's doing all the things you see in a, you know that we've been told that he can do well. That's amazing. Would not be upset about that. But in the event that he doesn't kick off straight away, Villa fans really need to give this man some time. 
Um, again, he doesn't speak any English. There is pressure for a price tag. Uh, the The common man will never understand the pr- the, the pressure about it, and that's not to say it's it, you can't understand it. But off the bat, like by face value, when you have a giant price tag over your head and you're walking into a place you've probably never been to before, and they're, they're looking at you as if you know you're the man, you're going to be the guy that's going to get us the goals, and you're going to be the guy that's going to you know keep up keep us in the division or whatever the goals the team has set. That can be stressful. And I, I get it. Oh, he's getting paid millions of dollars. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Like, it's it's fine. Yeah, but it, there's still the mental pressure on it. That's his job. That's his career. You, you you have to give him a little bit of patience. He I think he's going to be a fantastic striker. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's going to be a little bit of a feeling out process and a little bit of feeling out period of time where he may not know exactly what to do. I mean, how the hell did they even get a, a Brazilian translator in Birmingham? You know, for his interview, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, so whoever that is, you have to now have him following him around all the time. Now you talk about the language courses and stuff like that, but that doesn't happen in a week. English is known, you know, the English language has been proven time and time again to be the one of the most difficult languages you could speak throughout the entire world. People take that for granted because that's the language that we grew up with. How can this language be hard? It's not that difficult. It's very, very difficult to people from other parts of the world. So you're going to have to give a little bit of time, a little bit of patience. It, again, if he, if he kicks on and it, it's, it's you know, he, he's out the gate, and he's scoring goals for fun and he's smiling out there and he's happy. Awesome. That would, that would be the best case scenario. In the worst case scenario, doesn't score for a couple games, might get dropped to the bench a little bit. You know, it's, it, it, it's hard to tell, but it's, it's seeming more and more that, you know, if you actually have a good think about it, that he might, there is a possibility for him to have a rough transitional period. We'll see what happens, but I mean, I think he's a fantastic signing, regardless. Well, you, you mentioned he, you know that he might not be able to cope with the the price tag, um, and the prime example of that is already at the club in Scott Hogan. You know, I think there was an interview with uh, the Birmingham Mail. I think probably a year or two ago. Um, it might have been the summer after he signed. Um, and it was basically saying that he needed to knuckle down and get into his head how big of a club he was at because he hadn't been coping well with how much had been paid for him and the you know the step up from Brentford to Villa. He didn't expect it to be so big. Um, so he's a prime example of not being able to live with how much has been paid for you. Um, but I think I think Wesley's got a bit more about him than that. It's just whether he can hit the ground running or not. Um, but you know, obviously, that's something that we have to wait and see. Yeah, for the Scott Hogan thing, you know, that's a that's a pretty solid comparison. I just think that when Scott Hogan was brought in, um, a lot of his goals that he had before joining Villa were coming through through balls, and then he got here and Steve Bruce tried to throw balls over the top of his head and made him run to catch him. I just think it was it was it was just never going to work. Um, and I, I do feel bad for Hogan. I, I do think he's he's a really nice guy and everything. All the interviews I've seen with him, and he really wants to do well. But it, it, like again, like he just solidified the point that might that might be something where it, moving to a bigger club. Like obviously, you want to play for the the best club you can as a professional footballer, you know, within your ability. And coming to Villa was probably the right move at the time for him. But it, it was never going to work with, with the way he was getting service. Uh, at that point in time and then by then he just slid lower and lower in the pecking order and I mean I, I feel for Scotty Hogan I don't think it's going to be that way with Wesley um, I again I, I think there is going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders 
I'm sure that he's been told exactly what the situation is here as far as getting up and how big of a club it is. But I mean, does he really even realize how big of a club it is coming from, you know, being Brazilian, coming from Belgium? I mean, do you think he even understands really what's at play? I'm, I'm, uh, I don't have the slightest idea. Right. I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I, I this might be just something where, you know, that that's the whole flip side of the pressure. It could be the opposite side where ignorance is bliss. Okay, this team wants to buy me. All right. Yeah. Well, they have they have John Terry as a coach. They just got promoted. They got me on a, on a bigger wage than I was at my entire life. All right. Let's go score some goals. And it, it sounds crazy. That happens all the time in every single sport. You you know you don't you don't know the history of the club you don't know what the situation is you don't you know you just want to go and play to the highest bidder and sometimes that's just the way it happens with with Wesley I mean he he plays in such a way that like he has the agility but he has the strength you know he's decent in the air but you know he he doesn't mind putting his foot in for like a you know a poacher style goal so I I don't know I think I think it's going to be a great signing but again the supporters are going to have to have a little bit of patience on this and Villa supporters don't I mean sometimes they do and sometimes they don't but this one I think they definitely have to knuckle down and understand that patience is of the utmost importance. I mean you know like um, you, you know you, you you said sometimes they do sometimes they don't have the patience and I think a lot of the times Villa fans aren't the most patient at all. Um, you know, I, I can be I can be as patient as the next person, but you know, it comes to a point, and you know, I, I start I start making comments, but we need to, we need to stop the kind of pe- people that will be on social media after two games saying, "Oh, this guy's shit, this guy's awful, they can't hit a barn door." If he's not having good games, you know, there is an adjustment period here, and that's going to be the case for any foreign signings you know we, we've been linked with uh the egyptian winger trezeguet um and it, it's been it's no secret by now that dean smith went to i think he was with uh suso he went to watch the egyptian side of the african cup of nations i think they bowed out to south africa um obviously he'd be watching elmo but he's going to be looking at trezeguet as well um and trezeguet's a winger that can play on either flank um, but I believe he's very much in the mould of Anwar El Ghazi. Uh, he's a left winger that prefers to cut inside and shoot with his right. He scored a goal in the opening game against Zimbabwe uh, by doing exactly that, actually. Yeah, I I did a lot of research on him over the past couple of days. Um, even as far as I, I reached out to a mate of mine that I, I thought maybe he had a couple of the, of the games. He's a, he's a Turkish guy. Uh, maybe he had a couple of the games like on DVR, and I was actually able to. He was actually able to send me over a couple games. Um, I I think Trezeguet is like a really really good player. Um, I got a couple stats for him. He had seventy eight key passes last season, seventy eight point seven percent passing success rate. That, that just screams Dean Smith to me with the key passes. If you tally that up with Jack, and then you tally that up with Target, and then you tally that up with Anwar Ghazi, uh, that's just a lot of supreme passing ability on the ball albeit it, it is in the turkish league so there's really not much you can compare to the premier league it's the premier league's its own standard so we don't know exactly how or if he's going to be able to be a premier league talent if we go in for him um and I, another thing I, I looked up all his goals and yeah everyone looks good on youtube but like i, I wasn't looking to see like oh, oh he can score goals it was like how he's scoring goals and he scores them in a lot of different ways. Um, so, like, he, you know, he, he's been a penalty taker. He scored a free kick goal that was really, really dangerously close to actually being a pen itself. Poacher's efforts later having outside the box deflection goals. He loves to cut in from the wide areas. 
a crazy amount of his assists come off his right foot. It's a wand. It's almost like John McGinn-esque. It really, really is. His right foot's really, really good. Um, he can seem to find anybody, and it's it's not even just like straight on crosses. He actually like he he, he kind of does you know crosses the way of it, you don't always have to slam the ball into the, you know into the box itself or into a dangerous area. It's more like a, a floating crosses or put a lot of bend and whip on the ball. I think that's something that, that you know you're losing a little bit out of with uh, Albert Adoma. You know Albert didn't always have the greatest cross complete cross completion ratio, so Trezeguet would definitely be able to improve upon that. Um, not to mention Villa definitely needs some bodies in the wide areas. You know El Ghazi, Andre Green, and Yoda are the only identifiable wide men, so we definitely need to get somewhere in there. Um, I was talking with a couple other Villa fans about this, and they're they're a little. Uh, they think that Birka Bjornsson could maybe feature on the left. How do, how do you feel about that? Well, I know he does for Iceland, but we've tried him there a couple of times under Bruce, and obviously that's playing Bruce ball, but it never really worked out. Um, I, I would be surprised if Berkey is at the club come the start of the season, to be honest. Yeah, I kind of had the same feeling. I, you know, I said I think the Villa are going to bring in players, and then you're going to see like the offloading of maybe a couple of players that we just have a little bit too much depth in. I think Bjornsson's going to be one of those players. But as far as Trezeguet goes, I think he's I think he's going to be a really really nice signing for somebody. I don't know if it's going to be Villa. Obviously, like you said, Suso and Dean Smith were there to watch him play in the African Cup of Nations. I just the more I the more I watch him. I mean, like I said, I, I watched two full games of him playing. One on the left side of the pitch, one on the right side of the pitch. He's much better on the left, it seems, by the statistics. But for me, it seems like he's really comfortable playing both sides. So. Um, I think we're going to need a winger regardless. If we can pull a player out of Turkey and bring him to the Premier League, I think it's worth a shot. Uh, I haven't heard of any crazy amounts of fees. I think I think it's less than fifteen million. Regan, did you, did you see anything maybe a little bit more solid? Is this for Trezeguet? Yeah. Um, well, I was just scrolling through Twitter now, so that's that's why I had to ask what you were talking about. Um, but according to some reports uh, recently that have just come out in the last half an hour, uh, Villa have agreed a £10 million fee for him. Um, the initial links were £8 million, I think. Um, but £10 million is absolutely fine. I, I can't see actually any sources for these reports. Um, but I would, I would be happy... Um, Happy to have have Trezeguet for for ten million, absolutely. Um, just checking Villa report here. Um, who named their source as a? I think it's a Turkish news news outlet uh, called Takvim, based in Istanbul. And apparently, um, Aston Villa have convinced in inverted commas Kasim Pasa with an offer of 11 million euros for Trezeguet, which is around 10 million English pounds. Yeah, I, w- I would love that. I, I you know, the, I was reading more about the fact, I can't remember who the club was that was trying to sign him last year, but it was, I think it was a $17 million deal and he said no because he didn't want to relocate. Um, that's that's amazing if we can get him for 10. I'll even take the add-ons up to like, you know, 15. I mean, it's not coming out of my pockets. I don't care regardless. But just as far as, you know, the player, um, I don't think that's a bad amount of money for a little bit of a gamble. I do think this player is going to be a little bit of a gamble. But like I said, 78 key passes coming off the wing last year in Turkey. Again, you don't you never really know if that's going to translate to Premier League, but you just think about all these players we have that have the ability to pick out a pass and are really, really good adept, you know, ball players moving forward, especially on the counter attack. And Trezeguet, Trezeguet seems like he's going to be that player. Oh, man, I, I don't know, Regan. I, I think this would be a really, really nice signing if we can get him in. 
I, I have to agree. And, you know, that's two two um, wingers on either side. Um, realistically, you, you're probably going to see Trezeguet and El Ghazi starting uh, every game and they're going to be switching flanks throughout the game, um, I would think. I can't really see um, either El Ghazi or Trezeguet sitting on the bench. Um, and I think, you know, you expect Andre Green and you expect uh, Jota to be rotation options. Yeah, I, I think that that's, if that's the way they're going to go and they're going to have four wide men, I'm, I'm okay with El Ghazi and Trezeguet. Um, I, and we, we saw that last year. Dean Smith would, would switch El Ghazi's, you know, side of the pitch. It's like, I, I saw it, the most I saw it was against Rotherham late in the season. He must have switched four or five times during the game. And it, it wasn't even a thing of just being caught on that side of the pitch, and you just kind of, you know, you got to figure it out and play there for a minute. Like it, it was a full on like I'm. There's a stoppage of play. I'm walking across the pitch. The other wingers walking across the pitch. We're, you know, having a quick handshake and a talk, and then then we're getting right back at it. You know, it, with in the event of El Ghazi and Trezeguet being on, you know, for Aston Villa, that would work. And you know, it, it may seem like it's not a big deal. That that throws teams completely out of whack. Like as far as your opposition, sometimes when you switch your wingers, like it's a real tried and, and true tactic, especially if both players are adept at playing either side of the flank. So I, I think getting in a winger is definitely needed, and then getting a winger like Trezeguet is definitely. Uh, a really, really good signing if we can get him in, especially for the, the price tag. It's not bad at all. And then he's coming into a team that has Ahmed Al-Mahamdi in it. It's a countryman. He's a fellow Egyptian. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, Al-Mahamdi has been in his ear a little bit like, oh, you know, come on, come on over. You'll be playing right in front of me. We can figure this out. Everything will be fine. And you never know. It's, it's a big step up for anybody coming to the Premier League, and especially if you have a countryman on the team too. Well, apparently Elmo um, recommended him to, to Dean. Uh, that was one of the reports, but I would think that Suso would have known about him regardless. Yeah, yeah, I think Suso would have known about him, but good, good lad, Al Mohammadi. I, I like it because I'm telling you, the more I look into him, and anybody who's listening, he's it's not just YouTube highlights. He does a lot of little things on the pitch. His passing's great, you know. And key passes aren't just passes to goals; those are called assists. You know, key passes can get you out of trouble. Key passes can open up a whole defense. So I, I hope this gets over the line, and I think it, I think it'll be a really, really good, you know, underrated signing for Villa. And I think that is probably the best time to end this uh, episode of the podcast. Um, you know, we've discussed the current ins, we've discussed two potential incomings that could get over the line before the club fly out to America for the Minnesota game and their American training camp. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a follow or subscribe or give us a rating on air, whatever podcast platform that you're listening on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anything else. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Facebook, forward slash under a gaslit lamp, on Instagram at under a gaslit lamp. And you can keep up to date with all the news, all the opinion about Aston Villa, Aston Villa ladies, who have recently rebranded to Aston Villa women. We've totally forgot to cover that in the podcast. Um, I will mention it in the next one, make sure of that. Um, and all the youth teams at Um We're currently still working on the magazine. We're so, so grateful to everyone that's actually... Uh, express their interest in that we've sold out 180 in under 24 hours which is 
way, way bigger than we ever expected. And the amount of people that actually donated to help us print these is outstanding. So thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Lots of love. Up the villa.